What does it take to bring yourself closer to reality? One that is unfiltered, unfettered, and ready to be fully explored. Neil Kramer, a spiritual philosopher and esotericist, joins us once again on Higher Journeys to discuss a film that illustrates what discovering the path of truth really entails. In a documentary that he wrote, narrated, and co-produced entitled Transmutation, the elements are in full view as to how any individual walking the face of this earth is invited to discover truth on their own terms, outside of the limits of normal, but only if they so choose. Once chosen, what's discovered will ultimately change not only their view of reality, but reveal what to so many seems stubbornly hidden and out of reach. Why is it that some individuals have a natural thirst for discovery and others perfectly okay with living a status quo existence? And in this age of revelation, why is it that still the masses seem so tethered to their sleep state, even while the truth is beckoning their attention? Neil addresses these questions with his usual eloquence and unmistakable candor. Let's listen in to what Neil had to share. Neil, it's been over a year since you last joined us here at Higher Journeys. And during our last chat, we discussed spiritual sovereignty, shadow mapping, and discovering reality out of what you refer to as simply empire. Well, today, I'm excited that we're going to continue down this powerful path of discussion, but this time within the context of what I have to say is one of the most exhilarating, liberating, and powerful films I've seen in a long time. And that's your documentary film, Transmutation, that you wrote, narrated, and co-produced along with Niles Heckman. Now, before we get started, I want everyone to have a sneak peek as to what this film, Transmutation, is all about. Let's have a look, and we'll be right back. This life is a gift of learning. We can do whatever we want with it. We can go wherever we please. We can be with whomever we choose. Our time is our own. So what do we do? We are not workers or consumers or bystanders. The ways of empty toil and obedient endurance are not our ways. There are no careers, no authorities. Success and failure do not exist. These are the old, unconscious patterns, refuges for those who choose sleep. We came here to grow, to bear vivid witness and embody the deepest wisdom. We call this spiritual development. It is radical. It changes people, moment by moment, year by year. When we live like this, the universal creation acknowledges our presence for the first time. The world can see us. We become known to it. We begin to recognize that reality is a place of profound intimacy and providence. Every moment offers meaning. The spell of randomness fades. Magic arises. This is the pilgrimage of the great mystery. The pathways must be walked. Words are not enough. 
The spiritual adventure is in the flesh. First, let me say, man, you both knocked this out of the park big time. Congratulations. Beautifully done. Thank you very much. That's uh, that's very well received and very we're very grateful to hear that. Thank you. Well, it's uh, a pleasure to be able to watch it and, and, and enjoy it and take it in. So as I went through the film a couple of days ago, I thought I could just spend the entire hour today quoting you, as I often like to do. I mean, there are so many powerful messages that you leave the audience with, Neil. And I'll probably pepper our discussion with a few of those quotes along the way. But I want to start with these two, if I may. So I'm going to say, quote, to walk a path of truth is to take life into your own hands. And another right on the heels of this, the more truthfully we live, the closer the bond, end quote. Let's start with these two. I mean, this film is about self-discovery through recognition of what I think you once referred to as channel normal. And then taking the responsibility to explore and discover the power inherent in unfiltered reality through an individualized and sovereign journey. Would I would I be close in distilling what this film is all about, transmutation? <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why can't you be close? It sounds good <laughs> enough to me. Okay. <laughs> well, I would say, because there's so many aspects to this film, it's such a broad and deep investigation of reality. But as I've been talking about it for a little while now i would say it's a film about beauty about spirit and about growth and what you said fits perfectly into that no problem and those simple words beauty spirit growth describe everything that we set out to do with this little independent film um, and you, you can't really get any more independent than we were with this. We did exactly what we wanted to do. Mm. And we didn't want anybody pointing us in a direction that we weren't happy with. And we didn't want any anybody who was funding this that expected certain things or was, you know, cajoling us in one direction. So we did it all ourselves with a a small bunch of dedicated guys who produced this very lovely film. And the other thing we wanted was, is we knew that the content quote, you know, philosophically and spiritually would have no problem with that because we, I could do the best I could and satisfy myself that I can produce something substantial and interesting. And we also spoke to five or six other people who, yes. you know, sit down and talk to the camera. And I know those guys, um, you know, they've all sort of been involved in my work in one way okay. or another. I wanted to ask, um, that was my next question. How did you find them? So, okay, you knew these individuals. I knew there were, I think, six people that were all extraordinary. Yeah. 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 I, I, they've either, you know, come to my events or listened to my materials or worked with me directly. So most, a lot of people you see in the film, I know them, mm -hmm. uh, the, the people that I know in my life, professionally, on the whole. 
Um, but those people also share their growth and their spirit and their beauty. And so we, we, we knew we'd have no problem with that. The, the biggest challenge was we wanted to make a film that had the production values of a multi-million dollar film, like a 10, 20 million dollar film. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to do the impossible really, which is elevate the visuals to the super pro level. You did that. And, you did that. Uh, thank you. <laughs> And there's, there's, there's a couple of ways you can do that. One is you, you get someone to pay f for you mm -hmm. to do this. So if somebody chips in millions of dollars, then, you know, you can start to pour that time and effort and everything into it. Uh, the other way is you don't do that, but it just takes a very long time, mm. <laughs> which was the path that we took. So it took us like two or three years, really, to make Did this really? film. Wow. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it's, I don't mean exclusively like every, the rest of our life was on hold forever. We were all doing other things at the same time. But Niles Heckman, the director, producer, and, you know, main cinematographer of this, I mean, he put in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours mm -hmm. into this thing, maybe thousands, I don't know, but an enormous amount of time. So you have to love it. You have to love the project. It's like a, a violinist who practices you know five six seven eight hours a day every day you've got to love it you can't just slog at this thing no way I like know. like yeah. it's doing you know a tax return or you're filling out forms or spreadsheets or something awful it's got it's a labor of love so the the thing that niles and i made sure of was a that we respected and were cool with each other so we you know spent the time to make sure that we would work well together before we did anything we did that and it that little experiment worked and then we, you know, worked together on this thing for three years. Mm. And uh, I was writing and narrating or whatever, which honestly was not difficult. It was a pleasure to do. Mm. Uh, I was also in the film a lot as well, walking around mm -hmm. and, you know, you, you're walking with me through various landscapes and mm. sat in various locations and stuff. So there was just a massive amount of time and effort. But we decided to do that to raise the production values to the very professional high quality level so that was the other thing we wanted to do because we wanted the visuals to match the substance and i'll say one more bit on that as well we also wanted the music to do it mm -hmm. so we used uh, a, a bunch of amazing people in this niles as i say was the director and key cinematographer uh we had two other cinematographer guys uh matt smith and andrew bradford and we had um four musicians who either contributed original work or allowed us to use their existing original work. So we, we had a guy, Wes Wellenbring, Jody Vernon, Jim Lawler, Ben Rollins. And we had another sound design guy, Andrew Scott Duncan, who all those people together put in their time and effort and stuff, basically for nothing, because there's no budget, you know what I mean? Right. So a lot of them just did what you call a title card, i.e. a credit at the end. So all these guys have worked on incredible things in the past. I mean, Niles has been uh, involved. He hates me saying this stuff because <laughs> he doesn't really do this anymore. But he was, you know, visual effects and digital art. And he has been technical director on films like Avatar, Pirates of the Caribbean, Terminator 3, Matrix Reloaded. This shows, I mean, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, shows, you yeah. don't get bigger than that. Mm. I mean, that's not what Niles does anymore. He kind of learned some of his craft there. But, of course, he wanted to go out and make a film of substance, not just entertainment, you know, not just pulp, mm -hmm. but something that had 
character and quality and I think Niles would uh, also add to that something that had longevity that in 30 years is going to still be relevant and in 130 years is still going to be relevant mm. so we also tried to make something that had a timeless quality to it which wasn't sort of mired in the culture of the moment if you see what I mean mm-hmm. let me I'm nodding my head and smiling broadly because I'm I'm watching the film as you're describing it and agreeing wholeheartedly I mean look it, it based on how you describe how all of you came together as this little experiment that lasted a few years and basically created the very thing that you're discussing you described transmutation as what about beauty say it again if Beauty, you say spirit growth. Well, I think that the project, what, what was implicit in doing that project were those three things, wouldn't you say? Yeah, we did. I mean, beauty as number one, and especially when you're doing a film that depicts beauty, if you get it wrong, it comes across it as comes very across. cheesy. Yes. Well, it comes across as silly and yeah. um, a, a kind of like a platitude. Yeah. So we, we, we wanted to capture the beauty of a first and foremost the landscape Mm -hmm. so the landscape is a major character in this film and as we Niles and I shot um, mostly in Oregon and Washington and California on the the beautiful west coast of America but um, Matt Smith and Andrew Bradford also filmed in India uh, you know Japan Asia Africa all over the world so as we were all going about our business in all the different places that we travel to and live in we were always capturing footage for this film, always. So it was filmed over five continents. Isn't that something? This is. I'm so glad you agreed to do this interview about this because guys out there, Neil has been somewhat conservative about. I wouldn't say conservative. I mean, the the film has been out for a, a little over a year now, or just a bit, approaching a year. And you, as you've said, this has been more of a labor of love and let's get out and do a marketing plan for it. And I don't know, maybe I'm that little, that little bird whispering in your ear saying it needs, it it needs to get out there to more, more people because it (laughs) is worthy of it. Guys, you know, I'm going to comment. So let me say a few things as someone, someone who's just watched it. Please Uh, do, please do. I just felt, first of all, I did not settle for watching it on a computer screen, fortunately with my Okay, plug for Apple. My Apple TV, I was able to airplay it to my large screen and surround sound. And I say for everyone out there that I know is going to pick up a copy of this, as you should when we're done, do yourself a favor and and, and see it, uh, experience it with proper equipment. The music is just delectable, not just the choice of music, but the quality that you guys recorded in. And every I say, forgive the cliche, this was a feast for the senses, the physical senses as well as the soul in how you put this together. I was just salivating the whole time. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I really was. This is not, well, you that's know. that's great. And I told you offline, uh, you said you probably watch a lot of films. And the answer was, uh, no, I don't. Uh, I choose, I try to be, uh, you know, meticulous in what I what I choose to watch for various reasons. And I knew it would be good, but it exceeded my expectations, clearly. Most important, with all of the senses that are definitely tickled here, the message is profound. And this is what I want to get into, because there's, there's a lot of stuff to, to parse here. Let's get into that a little bit. Let's talk about the general themes uh, of this transmutation. Are those that you, <clears throat> as a spiritual philosopher and esotericist, have been talking about for years? We know that, those of us who know and love your work. First, let me just ask this. Do you feel that since you began speaking about these fundamental and perennial ideas, that more individuals are starting to, quote, get it? 
Neil? No, I don't. I feel less people are doing it, but in a deeper way. I think more and more people are switching off and are killing themselves with mainstream ideas in the new age and in material culture. However, speaking, I think, to the spirit of what you're saying, there is a, a select proportion of people, men and women of all backgrounds, all persuasions, all creeds, who are going deeper. So not more in number, mm. but I would say deeper in substance and deeper in their inquiry into reality, into God, deeper and deeper. That is better than the numbers for me. I love it. I love it. And I certainly, though I never really thought about it that way, not, well, we, as the cliche goes, not quality over quantity, not so in the, the, the numbers, and I know that they're relatively small out of seven and a half, maybe even close to eight billion people at this point. Uh, the depth of those who are choosing the experience is so incredible. Maybe the butterfly effect will take effect and somehow affect. Yeah, maybe, it. maybe, maybe I that's what's required. The, it's a critical mass idea that you only need, uh, if we were to pick a biblical number, which I'm quite happy to do, 144,000 people who mm. decide to bring themselves close to reality, which, of course, most people do not. But those who choose to do that through their own free will and their own strength of character, if they do uh, spiritual work in themselves, that has a ripple effect uh, physically, emotionally, sexually, artistically, culturally, intellectually on everything that they do, everywhere they go, even mm -hmm. with their mouths closed and with, you know, sunglasses over their eyes, everything they do, they illuminate. Absolutely. So they bring their beauty and their truth to everything they do. Well, getting back to those six individuals, I was just utterly impressed. I mean, I'm going to just have to shower you with accolades the whole time. It's, it's worth it. I'm going to do it. But equally so, the each individual, I remember the first gentleman, I wish I could recall a quote that he had about where the nectar is. When they, all, they all said so much. They all yeah, the said so much. Remember James. the woman that said, I decided to invite my pain to tea. That's my wife, as a matter of fact. <gasps> is it really? Oh my gosh, I'm getting it's a sister. chill. Shout yeah. out, shout out to Mrs. Kramer. Oh, that Mrs. was a Kramer, yeah. beautiful. Mrs. K, she's known in the business. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean... She she got there on her own merits as well, I have to say, because we had about 10 people that we did some filming with. And every single one of them was amazing, but we didn't have enough space to do it. And I said to everybody, you know, you, we may not use your footage in this. I think film people are familiar with saying that. But if you've not been on many films, you know, you're not used to like, why was I not good enough? Because you didn't, you know, include me. I'm, I'm so <laughs> sad or, you know, uh, frustrated. But... I mean, we had four or five other people who were also wonderful that we filmed some great stuff with, but they didn't get on it. So, you know, a little panel of us sat together and decided who said the things that not were the best, but were most representative mm -hmm. of the spirit of this film. Mm -hmm. So the other people who said things that were also awesome, that that material might go into something else at some point. Okay. That, but, uh, yeah, that was it. And, when you were saying, you know, what's what's the gist of this thing? Because I've I've spoken broadly about it, beauty, spirit, growth. The the narrative of it. Let me speak of that for a moment. Mm. You may have noticed when you were watching it that there's three distinct distinct acts. Uh, act one is separation. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Act two is searching, and act three is reunion. Yes. And those three those three elements are often described in classical spiritual mythology, such as in the journey of Persephone into Hades and her eventual return to her mother Demeter. Same thing, separation, searching, reunion. Also in alchemy, they use those things. So if you look carefully at the film, you'll see alchemical references throughout. I, yes. So, so you'll see the first act is uh, Nigredo, blackening, deconstruction. The second act is uh, Albedo, whitening, purification. And the third act is Rubido, reddening, creation. So there's like, that's the surface narrative, those three acts. The deeper narrative... Uh, the, the remarkable, the most remarkable thing about this film to me, aside from its beauty, is the layering that we've put into it. So one of the other things that took a long time was there's a deeper narrative, many messages and layers of uh, knowledge embedded into this film that mm-hmm. you, you won't see on the first pass. Now, some of that layering is done in poetic form in my verbal presentation. Some of it is in pictorial a symbolic form that you'll see some of it is coded you won't even see it unless you keep pausing it and i don't just mean the flashes of images that you see sometimes i mean I actual, thing, actual yeah. things that we say you'll see that there's a reference to it even where the light strikes people where it's striking them where it's coming some of the um you know levels of knowledge in there go beyond what you would normally see in a film and that's a that's a sort of nod to the esoteric principle, which is if if the student asks you a big question, then you should give them a full answer. But you give them an answer in a way that's respectful to everybody's level of development, i.e. the surface level is for everybody. Mm-hmm. Let's say like a, you know, a biblical parable that everybody can understand. The middle layer of the cake is a bit more juicy, which is for those who have been walking a path for a long time and start to see, ah, I get what's being said here. That's interesting. I see that they're making a a more profound message in a subtle way. And then there's a third layer, which is super coded into the film where we put a lot of other information, a lot of other knowledge, which you'll just not see that in many other films. I I can only think of two or three out of the whole of film history that has, has done that. So it's, impossibly difficult to do it but we took the time to do it so there's a great richness in that film and as as people who might want to watch it i mean you can go to transmutationfilm.com we'll say this at the end a bit clearer but transmutationfilm.com you could you could watch it for five dollars it's like you know nothing five dollars you can download it and keep it forever for yourself for thirty dollars but with that thirty dollars you're getting the opportunity to dive into that content and you also get commentaries with it as well. So there's three separate commentaries with that where Niles and myself go through and talk about all the different elements of its production, its purpose, its meaning, how we did this, how we did that, some of the magical shots, some of the effects, some real magic that you see in that film, which we we can talk about. But it's uh, it's quite a nice package for someone who's interested in such things. It's it's well worth it. And as I, I always say, yeah, as I always say, it's the basically the price of a large pizza. So there it's you not go. Bad, is it really? Okay. So listen, before we <laughs> before we lose the theme of layers upon layers of messages, I'm going to point one out. May I? I don't think it's going to be a spoiler. Mm-hmm. 
but I'll let you decide. So here's one that I picked up beautifully. This was a, there were several and I've only seen it once and rest assured I'll be seeing it multiple times. There's a visual that has to do with one of the individuals, a woman that you filmed, who's a sun gazer. And at the end, I believe it was at the end of at least one portion of what she was talking about in terms of her entry point in her journey. She's facing the sun, I believe it's over a highway, and she's wearing uh, whatever kind of top she's wearing created sort of this wispy, wingy look. And as the camera, as she, now I'm not a cinematographer, so I don't know what term you would use for this effect, but as she is gazing, I believe, at a setting or maybe a rising sun, the way the light went down, it gave the impression that she was an angel. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do know what you're talking about. Was and that? uh, that's a that's a very poignant, beautiful moment in that film with a, sure is. a wonderful lady called Amanda who uh, is the woman you're talking about who's a super super lady I've known her for many years a, a very special woman and uh, that idea that you're talking about is highly illustrative of what we're talking about here which is so, that's a symbolic it's a visual mm-hmm. image but it's a demonstration of what a human being is mm-hmm. in essence which is a higher form and we can depict that symbolically or we can depict that literally and people can choose for themselves how figurative or how literal we're being but in that sense again you're seeing the connection between the human the a higher angelic form uh, angeloid messenger form and a solar form and the those three things are working together so you're seeing a, a trinity of being mm-hmm. a solar being I got physical that. material being mm-hmm. and a higher energetic being all in one so well done 10 out of 10. All right. Oh, I, I, listen, you told me. I think I'm going to go back and watch there's, it again there's tonight. One them, there's, there's one, one and I'm going to be about thinking another, about it. Another 500. There you go. And I believe they're all there. So here's some of the, the terms that I would use to describe this. Some thoughts that come to mind uh, just at a snapshot. Complex but fundamental. Truth hidden in plain sight. Perennial and even paradoxical. Do you know what I mean? Can you elaborate on what I might be talking about? <laughs> you mean a specific bit or overall? No, these are just thoughts that as I was watching this film, yeah. I thought, and, and paradoxical is probably the first thing. I, look, I have always yeah. felt that there's something about reality that is a living paradox. You know, going back to my favorite quote by F. Scott Fitzgerald, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. And somehow that came out in this film. These are individuals who are experiencing the paradox of normal and natural and embracing both the exoteric and the esoteric. That's what I'm talking about. I'll let you elaborate. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, paradox is definitely important in genuine spiritual inquiry, in one's closeness to God, and in one's journey to origin and destiny. Paradox is a big deal because it's, as you say, it's the ability for somebody to say, you know, I'm not here to be comfortable and happy. I'm here to know the truth. And if if there's ever a decision between the two, I'll always true. I'll always choose truth. Uh, for me, that 
that's paradoxical I see in many people's lives because they're feeling that you know the spiritual journey is open to everybody equally which it is and yet so few people choose it so few, few people choose to do anything with it apparently because they're primarily interested in their own comfort and security and entertainment so most of the uh, spiritual popular world you know in, in spirituality and religion in new age in psychology and all those things most of that world is about trying to make people feel good about themselves it's not about mm -hmm. truth it's about fantasies to make people feel good about themselves mm -hmm. the paradox therefore is how do you make an uplifting film which is something we did want to do we don't want to make a, a gloomy one how do you make an uplifting film and address that point without disempowering or dispiriting anybody mm -hmm. now that that's paradoxical mm -hmm. in the sense that you have to deal with two opposing things the thing that spiritual adventure and accomplishment is open to every man woman and child in totally equal measure it's the only equity in life i believe how somebody grasps that though is dependent on so many factors which Absolutely. we try and deal with in this film so there are paradoxes you know there are paradoxes and whether you believe in Christian principles, as I do, which we barely touch on in the film because we don't need to. We speak in very broadly about things. Or whether you're into you know, Hindu spiritual culture or whether you're a total materialist. To me, it doesn't matter awfully because once you start to examine truth, you are going to see divine handiwork, divine craftsmanship, and you're going to have to face the reality that this thing was created. It didn't just evolve out of hydrogen and carbon and snot crawling out of an ocean. <laughs> the whole thing was made. Everything was made, crafted, intelligently from scratch. And that is shown by showing the essence of nature. Mm -hmm. So the other, the other thing in watching this film is you start to see there's a an intelligence and a, a grace inside nature. And it's not just something that science thinks is uh, you know natural selection or adaptation it's something more profound than that and so that's paradoxical because showing nature at its most organic as we do throughout the film we're also showing the striking challenge of nature which is it is constantly saying to you I was made I didn't evolve I was made and that is the great paradox throughout the film we don't hmm explicitly get into that but if you watch it carefully you'll see that that over and over again is demonstrated that's interesting i'll have to say that that was not necessarily what i got and yet as a fundamental idea or postulate i, I think i understand what you're saying i've always been a proponent of looking at nature not just as a metaphor for our lives but a mirror and you again did that incredibly beautifully we, we did want to make one other point about nature as well, which is kind yeah. of a very simple one, but it's a profound one. The natural environment is a very important ally in spiritual development. Mm -hmm. If all we do is sit inside places and transport ourselves around and, you know, gab on about things and carp on about things, sat inside little boxes and rectangles, it, it life is difficult, honestly. So the other thing we tried to do is inspire people to make them want to feel to get out to get outside it sure does in, when you're in the woods their, yeah absolutely into their coastlines to their yeah. parks and 
woodland, forests, deserts, wherever, you see all those environments in this film. So, I mean, we live in an extraordinarily beautiful environment and it's very temporary, our time here. So time in nature, it, to me, is a prerequisite for spiritual accomplishment in mm -hmm. oneself, just, just for privately for oneself. There's no outside measure for this necessarily at that point, but your relationship with nature teaches you about your relationship with God. That's how important it is. Outside of that, I can't see how you do it. You just have to believe stuff that somebody tells you. Well, and that's but what most people the, do. That's, I'm sorry to cut you off. What that's most, that's oh, what yeah, most people right. do. That's what Whereas the experiential, do. it says, if you want to learn about communion, do it with the, a pure form. You can do it with some rare humans. That is possible. But certainly with nature, you've got a ready-built environment that says, I can show you what relationship is. So throughout the film, we're not just doing it just because it looks nice. We're doing it to show the relationship between the, you know, sort of protagonist, the person that you follow around, mm -hmm. what he's saying and the environment he's in are one thing. Absolutely. Like the secret, secret of the Holy Grail in King Arthur mythology. The king and the land are one. This is perennial wisdom, and yet it cannot be enunciated enough in so many ways, and you do it with such poetic tone. It seems almost cliche in some conventional New Age circles that get out in nature and get get out in nature and get your feet on the ground and ground grounding and all that great stuff. But the way it's conveyed by you and people of your spiritual ilk, I think, is just so powerful. I couldn't agree more. Communion with nature. I mean, look, this is what our the transcendentalist uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, my favorite, right in my neck of the woods, literally down the street, wrote about solitude within that kind of environment. I think you and I have talked about it before. It has so much really to important. teach us. It's really important. It's yeah. very important, including, in, I know you bring this theme up, the importance of creation and destruction and creation and destruction ad infinitum. Does nature not do the same thing? Dormancy and coming back up. I marvel at it every year. I'm an avid gardener, so I'm, I'm out there all the time. So I hear you. We're on the same page there. <laughs> let's talk, well, you know, let's talk about this. Because I'm looking at the clock and, oh, I don't know, maybe you think we can go an hour? We're about half hour in. I've been shortening this, but guys, this is good stuff. So we're if you can hang with me for an hour, let's do the full hour, shall we? <laughs> Listen, I want to talk about um, challenge. You know, uh, I've always asked this question, Neil. At some deep level, could that which we see and experience as painful, tumultuous, challenging, be designed as a trigger to find its opposite and eventually realize and embody equilibrium. In other words, are those who seem to perpetuate all that appears as shadow, we call them empire, simply be characters in a play that is being orchestrated at a much deeper level? Yes, it's a very high level. So it's, it's invisible to most people who are not paying close attention or have filled their lives with busyness and chores and errands that take all their attention but if you just stop and put those things away and look into life rather than at it if you look into it you see that the characters both the natural ones like the politicians and the corporations and the governments and the nation states and whatnot those characters are depicting the the state of humanity um, and we won't get specific about individuals because I don't think we need to at this moment but it's been like that forever there's nothing 
extraordinarily different now, although there are some wonderful things happening in the United States at the moment that are hidden to most people. But the United States is the savior of this whole thing, in my view. Mm-hmm. Very, very glad to be part of that. The second point, though, that is the one that I really want to emphasize, in, you know, because we've got a short time, is that um, those forces that um, create dynamism in the positive and in the negative and in harmony and disharmony and the suffering that comes from one's inability to deal with disharmony because that really is all that suffering is it's mainly in the imagination and that then becomes physical and so on but those forces are essentially of supernatural character and origin and i think that's the big thing that's people don't want to talk about in mainstream spiritual liberalism is that what's the defining characteristic of that it's it's honestly it's anti-supernatural it wants everything to be physical and psychological essentially and it likes to play with spiritual notions but genuine spiritual life the essence of it is that the whole superstructure here is of supernatural origin and the the controlling factor in this temporary earth in which we're in is negative. And so dealing with that negativity, confronting the negative, is an essential part of uh, spiritual accomplishment. Mm -hmm. That means to have wisdom, you must suffer. And anyone who doesn't see that, I I don't believe them. If I think of the 10 wisest people I, I know, they've all suffered. And I too suffer. But I suffer less and less because I've improved my relationship with disharmony. Mm -hmm. And I see that suffering is purification. And the more that you can do it in its burning core, the less it dogs you in life and the less you like a despondent or desolate or fed up in, in pain because you allow the suffering to do its thing. And that is a purifying fire. As we said in our second act, albedo, purification, whitening. That is an essential part of alchemy. Until that takes place, you cannot know something. So pain is essential in spiritual life, essential. Okay. I bring this whole idea up in the context of the film because it appears that each individual, Neil, that told of their story and their entry point, whether they, they didn't harp on it, certainly, but whether it was assumed that there was a bit of that that brought them yes, to where they are and yes, i want to i want absolutely right absolutely so this was addressed in but still in the most positive of ways and very effective and you have a quote that i think i wanted you to elaborate on but i think you've already answered it you say that our roots are not in the earth but in fire we don't come from here this world is temporary uh we come from a different place and this place is going away and soon it will be gone all of it forever the whole thing the entire 3d structure will be gone 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 forever and ever and ever and it will be dissolved completely disintegrated because it served its purpose its teaching mechanism through polarity has finally taught all those who were willing to know everything necessary to go onward and so the entire 3d world is dispensed with forever and ever and ever those who go onwards are those who can be transferred willingly through their own accomplishment into their quote light body or if you were a christian you would call it their glorified body same thing doesn't make any difference Mm -hmm. so that is all a matter of light 
wisdom, fire. They're the same thing. Light, wisdom, fire. Same thing. This world is made of light. It's frozen light. And so for it to be gone away with on fire is how it was birthed. So in esoteric Christian cosmology, we see there are three Earths, an original Earth, a fallen Earth we're in now, and a new Earth. Mm-hmm. And those those elements are extremely important in my spiritual uh, understanding of life. And so, again, to depict the sun and the solar energies and how beautiful they are and how important for the uh, elevation of a person's consciousness is a, is a very important motif throughout the film. So if you watch how the sun is striking things always, and uh, as you yes. pointed out, mm. how Amanda elevates her form in the sun, then you start to see what we're talking about. I understand. The, the, you know what comes to mind, beautifully stated, by the way, as is, is always with you, in terms of this idea of this earth as we understand it going away and being replaced by a new earth, which is a concept that I think is traversed, not traversed, but uh, matriculated throughout uh, lots of different teachings. But in terms of this being sort of a a training ground, I love the quote by, you're familiar with physicist Tom Campbell, I'm sure, who wrote My Big Big Toe. Yeah, I've done an interview with him. Oh, fantastic. Well, he has, he is, I I haven't actually worked with him, but through through other people, I've, I've learned a lot about him. And he has this postulate, Neil, that says that he feels that this reality represents an entropy reduction trainer for souls. And that's always stuck with me. And yeah, I, I right. think it kind of jives with what you're saying. That's right. It's called Christian theology. It's absolutely bang on. It's absolutely true. You won't hear it in any churches, but if you go to the root of Scripture, that's exactly what it's teaching you, particularly in the New Testament, exactly what he just said. He's just saying it in modern, contemporary, something? distilled language, but that is basic Christian theology. Isn't Perfect. that something? Always has resonated with me. I never, you know, things that just sort of resonate, I, I just, I never let them go. I'll quote them forever, and I've yeah, yeah. done so many no, times. It works. You can smell the truth in it. That's why. You can. You absolutely can. Can you guys out there, juniors? I hope so. This is this is deep stuff, and yet fundamental. There's that paradox again. Well, let's see. Let's go to another quote, because like I said, you should have seen me taking copious notes. Oh my god, I've got to quote this quote, that quote. This. Let me ask you a question. You could certainly take this narrative, this extraordinary narrative of yours that accompanied this film, and create a book from it. Have you thought about that? It's certainly book-worthy. No, mm. I uh, hate writing. Do you really? Do you? Re- do, yeah. To be such a beautiful writer, that's something. I do. Oh, and I'll, t- I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. Because uh, it, for me, the word is much more exciting and interesting and powerful when it's alive. So I've consciously over the last. 10 years really since when I last wrote a book uh, enjoyed taking language into the living environment so like one of my early boyhood heroes Socrates Mm. he never wrote a single word down not a sentence (laughs) there's not one published thing about anything and yet he's the father of modern philosophy and science and the scientific method in in a manner of speaking and he's a it was a great man multi-disciplined in spiritual life in alchemical life in scientific life the whole thing the whole shooting match it was very holistic in those days and he never wrote anything down so if it wasn't for plato and porphyry we'd never know anything about what he said and i thought that was cool i always thought that was kind of cool that here's a here's a person who knows that the value of the word is in its living emanation in its form yeah so most of my work 
actually is constituted in spoken form. So if you go on my website and listen to Romecast, yes, it's like 30-plus hours of free, totally free Romecasts to listen to where I'm walking around and saying stuff. There's also workshops in there, like, you know, 100 hours of workshop. I don't know, maybe not quite that many, but there's bloody 100-plus hours. Trust me, I know. In, Been there. In total. <laughs> and, you can, and you can listen to that stuff, and it, there's something more in it. I'm not sure people want to read anymore. Mm. I think they want to listen. Uh, some people want to watch, but they they certainly like to listen. Yeah, I I love to listen. When I when I there's a couple of guys I listen to. Uh, I won't tell you who they are. No one's heard of them anyway. And I've listened to maybe three, five, seven hundred hours of their material because it's it's just good. It's mm. truthful. I, I can smell the veracity and the vitality in it. Right. If they'd written it down, I'm not sure I would have read it. But I love listening to it. Well, let, let's dig into that for a minute. Let's let's go off on a, a little bit of a tangent there. We're talking about the spoken word and, and you being such an orator. You have a beautiful voice. I, of course, love to, to talk. And I've always had this sense, Neil, that sound being one of our primary, uh, or hearing, I should say, bring one of our primary senses, it's doing more than just hitting the eardrum. There is a frequency associated with sound, as we well know, as well as color and other things is there something in the frequency, to, particularly with a given cadence, and what those words are? Yes. That so on the, affects... hum, on the human level, yes. let me interject. If Go I ahead. Because I, I know exactly what you mean, if I may just jump in there. <laughs> Go I for it. Your pardon. On the human level, there is sincerity and authenticity in the voice. Um, there is also ego and problems and baggage and issues in the voice. And everybody can tell. Yeah. which way it's swinging. Everybody can tell. So my problems in life are in the voice. My triumphs and uh, achievements in life are in the voice. My love and compassion and tenderness are in the voice. Uh, the more genuine and decent and virtuous a person is, the more pleasant the voice is, the more trustworthy the voice is, because everything about a person is in the voice, the sound not the content. That too, of course. I mean the bloody sound. Mm. If I sat here and read, you know, the telephone directory, if you can even remember what one of those is anymore, <laughs> and just started reading, you know, Anderson, you know, Baker, Charlesworth, you know, Davidson, you can tell a ton about a person just in the voice. Now, on the metaphysical level, in the voice also is spirit. And the amount of spirit a person is able to deal with, channel, conjure, uh, host within themselves is also depicted in the voice. I could tell you an awful lot about a person, not only their history and their dreams and fears and desires, not only their wishes and not only logistical and personal details about the life just from the sound of the voice, but also their level of spiritual attainment and their spiritual love of life from the voice mm -hmm. because it's in the voice. So that's why it's really difficult to listen to certain people, even though the content is good, because there's an incongruity between what they're saying mm -hmm. and the sound of the voice, because the sound of the voice is intrinsically linked to it. I mean, it's a little bit diff different, you know, when I'm doing an interview, there's a slight 
air of formality in the voice that might slip down a little bit if you're talking to me you know in the kitchen in half an hour but not much this is pretty much how I talk and of Mm -hmm. course I'm a little bit more humorous and you know congenial normally but even when I'm trying to talk about something just to somebody in my personal life to my wife to my sister-in-law to my father whoever I'm going to speak in a voice where I'm trusting that how I feel about something is embedded in the frequency in the tonality as you say the cadence of the sound and I'm going to choose words not that are ostentatious and over flowery and florid but words that are powerful like before when we were talking about the film there's there's lots of fancy words we could use but beauty spirit growth how powerful are they but how powerful are they when they're said with purpose Absolutely. and they're said with feeling so when you said them i could hear it when i said them i could hear it because we mean it and the people listening to this show it's resonant if you understand what those things are and of course many of your listeners definitely do because of the type of person that you attract but that's the thing it's the sound so i mean i couldn't be more interested alexis in what you're saying that we could do a whole bloody two oh hours i'd on love that. to i'm again nodding my everything head is in the voice everything, everything is, in the, is voice. in the voice and i am such an advocate of whatever you're doing i talk to myself all the time though i know full <laughs> well that i'm being heard and again i emphasize it's not the enunciation it is what is behind it you can't fake the feeling forgive the cliche you cannot fake the feeling. It will be perceived as it's meant to. You are in your voice. You hit right where I was going. You got it, man. It, it's yeah, really I, the metaphysical that I, I was like, willing to pull, wanted to pull out yes, of you. Yeah. Yes. Thank, thank you for, again, I apologize for cutting you off. There, no, but I was you can excited do that. to say it. You see, so <laughs> I that, tell. When you know somebody, you and I know each other a little and um, we, we can forgive each other that. But I like what you said as well about the fact that um, it's not about you know, the vocabulary. It's not about the articulation and enunciation, although you in your way and me in my way do rather well with that. And again, many of your guests do, I'm sure. Many of your listeners do. We have good language skills, let's mm. say that. It's not that. It's not. It's allowing yourself the faith in your own spiritual love to allow that to come into the uh, sound that you're making through your, you know, through your vocal cords. Agreed. Yeah, I and allow, that, allow it to come out. You know, it's a risk. It's a sacrifice because some people will not like it or mock it or deride it. You know, there's always that. But I have faith in spiritual life uh, mm-hmm. because it's experientially been proven for decades. And that's personal. I don't need anyone to believe that with me. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't no, require I know that. that. I know that about you. But if, if somebody likes to walk alongside me, I would love them to. I'm, they, they're very welcome to do that. Mm. And in the voice that comes across so when if i if you said here's 10 guests neil that i've spoken to over the last x months or years and five of them are outstanding and five of them are not outstanding and i i'm going to write down on a piece of paper which it is and we did this as a private experiment i bet we'd nail it both of them and i could do it in the first 30 seconds not by anything that they mm. bloody said but by the sound of the voice i understand 
I understand. And oh, all my... the listeners know it too. Yeah, I understand. Now, as I'm listening to you, we're talking about things that seem to be separate, the words that are spoken and their their dictionary definition and the feeling that's behind it. But I believe there's a reciprocity, but they, they feed each other. The words that are spoken emanate from the feeling that comes from within. The yeah. esoteric gives rise to the exoteric at every level, not just in the spoken word. That's a powerful medium. But I think in every everything that we experience with our physical senses. So, woo! <laughs> Where the heck do we go from here? I love it. And yes, we could do an entire hour, and maybe we will one day, on that. So powerful. Our voice, and it's used figuratively speaking, Raise your voice. Isn't it interesting? They have no idea what they're talking about. I know. It's, it's, no uh, idea. It's very exciting to think about. Mm, it is. Well, let's, gosh, where do I want to go? I've got a bunch of stuff. Uh, and I don't even really, <laughs> after that, I'm not quite sure where to go. Let, here, here's one. Here's another quote I want to use. I don't well, think just, I... just just talk for 30 seconds while I have a drink of water. <laughs> oh, great. I'll, Take I'll, your time. I'll mute it while I glug this down. I'm okay, let me know when you're back. Listening. Guys, are you loving this conversation? Listen, I'm while he's having his sip of water, I'm going to go ahead and plug this again. Go to, I, I believe he said Transmutation Film. Yes, it's transmutationfilm.com. Treat yourself. I'm not being paid for this. You all know that. <laughs> It is a treat for the soul and one that is absolutely uh, worthy of seeing time and time again. And now we know for sure there's good reason to go back again and again. So go do that. Okay. I heard that. <clears throat> so I'm assuming you're back. Yes. There you go. All right. I'm going to just come right out. Here's another rapid, rapid fire quote from the film. The spiritual human must be a proficient detective. Elaborate, please. And I think I know what you mean, but. I think everybody listening to this knows what that means. Spiritual life is about inquiry. It's about pursuit. It's about reading clues. And it's about translating the invisible into something substantial. Not wishful thinking, not dreams, not fantasy. God is saying, come find me. Like children hiding. He's hiding in a closet. Mm -hmm. And he's excited to be found. Spirit is the trail to that creator entity, that supernatural person, is spiritual life. And to seize upon that as any kind of serious piece of work, and not just, again, wishful thinking, but actually as a, a path in life that makes a man stronger, makes a woman stronger, that requires detective abilities. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, I've always enjoyed Sherlock Holmes all my life from the old Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce ones to the um, Jeremy Brett and Edward Hardwick ones. I don't like the modern stuff so much, but f from 1984 to 1994, Jeremy Brett and Edward Hardwick made the best Sherlock Holmes depictions you'll ever see in your life. And over and over again in those stories, you'll, you know, you'll walk into a room and there'll be a guy on the floor dead with a gun in his hand and a powder burn on his head and the police walk and say, well, it's a clear case, Mr. Holmes. It's a, it's a suicide. I don't think there's anything more to be said, is there? And Holmes says, yeah, okay, well, you guys get out of here, but just give me five minutes, will you? And they go, all right, all right. And they leave him alone. And suddenly he realizes that the appearance of this is very deceptive and it's been almost set up to test the person, mm -hmm. to test their powers of deduction, perception, insight. And every single time 
the appearance is the first thing that's the giveaway that there's something wrong. And I think in this world, the obvious wrongness here, the obvious disparity between how wonderful things can be and how awful they often are in society at large is a giveaway. It's meant to be that way. Mm. So, the, yeah. so the detective looks at it and says, okay, so the wrongness, the brokenness of the world is why in Christian cosmology we call it the fallen world. Today, you just call it the polarized world. And once you've understood the fallen nature of it and what it's for, which is training in distinguishing good and evil, essentially that's what this world is for, in my view. Once you get that and you realize... Again, paradoxically, there's a duality to it and there's also a non-duality to it because of dimensionality. We can do both of those at the same time. You start to discern between virtue and, you know, the absence of virtue. Mm -hmm. You start to discern quality and rubbish. But most significantly of all, you just, you start to discriminate very, very seriously between what is true and what is false. And I would say to you that this powerful statement, if I, if I may say, the truth is available. It's not something that is available relative to everybody. It's always available to everyone. The truth is available to be known. It's in the world. Reality can show you the truth of anything, anybody, any situation. It is there. The truth is available. Many people don't actually think carefully about that. They don't really believe it. They think that the truth is, well, I'm glad you've got your truth. If that works for you, that's great. And I've got my truth. No, it doesn't work like that. Mm. It's two plus two equals four, not five. You can't both have your own truth in that. One of those things is true and one of them isn't. So the very philosophical, epistemological fact that truth is available is exciting. But to get to it, you have to do a lot of detective work, a lot of pursuits, a lot of healing a lot of understanding, a lot of coming to humility and humbleness in your own endeavor. Absolutely. And realizing, realizing that a lot of stuff you had based your personality and confidence on was wrong. Right. And you're going to have to te tear that up and throw it out. Absolutely. And yeah. I'd say if somebody said to me, what's the defining characteristic of a spiritually accomplished person? I'd say humbleness. Let me just tag you with this. And the journeyers have heard me say this. I'm going to say it again. If you dare explore the true nature of reality, humility is a universal mandate. Oh, I, lovely. Lovely. That's yes. mine. Couldn't, that's couldn't be mine. That's and beautiful. Because that's what it is. And it's the one thing that seems to be uh, conspicuously missing in this age of opining. I so implore everyone. Let's take this moment, both of us, Neil. I implore everyone to please step back and realize that the very things that we discuss on this show and others like it are so paradoxically out of our grasp and within at the same time, out of our grasp, out of our understanding and within at the same time. But in this corporeal form that we are now in, humility is the mandate for the universe, perhaps to meet you halfway and give you the truth because it, it is, is available. You have to realize that you're not here for your comfort, security, and entertainment. You're here to serve God. And in that service, you can be the freest, strongest, most liberated woman or man you've ever dreamt of. Mm. And that is the shift in priority. It's not about you. It's about a supernatural force who is, who is saying, know me. 
and in knowing me i'll give you ultimate freedom and eternal life that's what this is it's it's mm. unpopular these days because it's christian but it's not changed it's still true it's still true i i concur there but i think I'll, the only thing i would add or or put my sort of view on is in that it's about service to god service to others service to self is built in as well and therefore in in a sense it is about you in the context of the larger framework if we are all a part of that same fundamental stuff i don't know it's that's I, just a, i understand what you're do you know what i mean i do if you don't take yourself seriously in the beginning you can't really do this thing so you, you do have to do a ton of work on yourself mm -hmm. but then a threshold is reached where you realize that the work is not in acquisition and knowledge it's in release mm. giving purification agreed and that is an act of uh worship it's an act of grace not on your knees in a church when let, let me make a clear distinction here christianity and the institution of the church have almost no relationship today, mm. almost no relationship at all. So don't confuse those two things. That's not what I'm talking about. So my journey into Christian philosophy and theology was from a very esoteric point of view. And you could almost take all the key words out, you know, like sin, salvation, atonement, repentance, Lord, Jesus. And if you took those words out, everybody would love it. When you put those words in, because of essentially bad churches over the last two millennia, it leads a nasty taste in a lot of people's mouth who've had a bad experience with Catholicism or Jehovah's Witness or something, uh, Methodism, Seventh-day mm. Adventists, whatever. But actually, when you get right down to it, sola scriptura, the actual pure words, the pure teachings, they are very good, very, very resonant. And they, they certainly teach that, that meekness is a path to wisdom but that word that word today just means gentleness mm -hmm. and gentleness through humility so that brings us to a point of power so it's in equilibrium that you yes. find power power flows into equilibrium mm -hmm. i love that word and i love the idea of that and i hope that we will make a choice to work on bringing ourselves into balance just like the earth is and knows how to do back to nature again we're gonna have to wind this down, man. I, I we went a little over, but I'm not gonna let you go without having you tell us what else you've got going on because I know there's a bunch of stuff. Tell us very quickly. <laughs> so yeah, well, I'll tell you just the two things that are, I think are most relevant. Uh, the first thing is if you enjoyed anything that you've heard from me today and want to know more, then there's a great opportunity coming just around the corner, which is I'll be doing a weekend at the Omega Institute up in uh, Rhinebeck in upstate New York, September 13, 14, 15. So you can go to neilkramer.com and uh, click on the events section and you'll see a thing called Fire of Life mm -hmm. Workshop. So it's a weekend workshop, tons of people come from all over, very high quality, high caliber, wonderful, beautiful men and women doing serious stuff, really excellent work in their own lives together and we share those things. And I'll give a series of talks and lectures, and you can see on my webpage what I'm going to be talking about. So, Fire of Life Workshop, Omega Institute, September 13, 14, 15 this year. Come to that. Great. The film, transmutationfilm.com. So, you can go there. You can watch it online, stream it for like $5. Or, if you want to get into some of the things that we were talking about, 
give yourself a little birthday present or whatever spend thirty dollars and it's it's yours Mm -hmm. and you get the film super high quality you know high resolution film uh the best quality you can get really in a download and you get three versions of it also with commentaries so you get a ton for that a ton um so i'd encourage you to go and have a look at the trailers and if you like this the look and sound of it then i'm sure that you'd enjoy watching it and again the detective work of going into the deeper mm-hmm. layers of the film is one of the fun things to do and it's just very beautiful it's a ch- champions humanity champions nature everyone can do this if they have the will to do it so it's a very uplifting film in you know difficult days with all the strange things happening in the world at the moment but I think it's a nice little beacon of uh, goodness. Well, I second that. I second that motion. Here, here, Neil Kramer. Thank you, sir. Always, always a pleasure to have you on. And I do hope, I know you're not doing a ton of interviews these days, but I hope you'll give me the honor of coming back and continuing this beautiful, beautiful uh, discussion. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, as always, for tuning into Higher Journeys. We'll see you next time. Take care.